Good morning, 9 a.m. service. I'd like to welcome you. I'd like to welcome our online crowd. Just kidding, there is no online crowd, and we're excited about that this morning. Um, I, I, the verdict is still out, um, which of these services is going to be my personal favorite, but you're in the early lead uh, this morning because you sound great. It's so good not just to see you, um, but to hear you this morning as we start a new season, a new era, a new series, all kinds of beautiful things are happening today. Um, as we start this, uh, let me remind you, because there's a ton of work that has gone in by a lot of unseen people in our church. Um, over the last two years, uh, a lot of our ministries got some breaks because we weren't having services, but there was a few that got no breaks, like our worship team um, that has led us online in all kinds of ways. So as we kind of revamp and re-get uh, things going uh, with two worship services. The key word in that is serve, right? So one of the, probably the top reason we went to two services was so that our people that have been serving can go and attend a service, right? So some of you are in here for the first time in a long time uh, because you've been serving with our kids or whatever. So if you're new to us, we just want to welcome you. We'd love for you to fill out a connect card on our website when you feel ready. If you're not new to us or you consider Relentless Church your home, uh, you need to serve. Uh, you need to be excited about serving. If you haven't found your spot, we'd be happy to help you. Um, but this is really, we started this today, so we're really ready for the people that are coming on Easter. And we're expecting a lot of folks that we haven't even met yet are going to come and hear the gospel for the first time in their, in their lives, perhaps. So we have four weeks to get ready for that, and we need all hands on deck. So now that we have two services, you can come to a service, you can serve a service. If you'd be willing to do that once or twice a month, our guest services needs people on doors. If you like people and like to smile, uh, our kids uh, team still needs some folks to help out. So all you do is go to this website on the screen. It would thrill our team. It would encourage our team today, if you're not plugged in, to jump on guest services, to jump on um, you know, our kids team or, or wherever you, you want to help. We'd love to have you. Um, why, why, we, why, we, why do we do this, church? Let's start there this morning. We're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. I, I put a little video out this week about, um, you know, come to two services and get back, right? And, and I want to make sure we understand it's not so we can have, as they say in, in my business, it's not so we can have butts and seats, right? That's not the goal. It's beautiful, right? But that's not the the end goal. Why, why we do this is because we are a community centered on the gospel, focused on forever, and we're a movement. It's a multi-ethnic movement that's going somewhere, and we believe that God calls every human to be in Christ with Jesus and with others, and we cannot do that from a distance. We cannot do that virtually, right? We, we're a church that is deeply grounded on reaching the untold unconvinced. You know people, maybe you're one of them. We're so glad you're here if you are. People that have never been told, right? They've never really understood a clear and compelling. They've heard religion, they've never heard the gospel. Or more likely in our culture is the unconvinced. Those that have heard it their whole lives, yeah, I got that. But they've never been convinced that it's actually worth living for, right? So, so we gather, 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 right? I was corrected this morning that I say gather, like together instead of gather. And you know, grammar police are everywhere. So we gather, we gather in this room, not so we can say we went to church. It's so much better than that, right? We come together so that God can 
can massage and, and work and encourage our hearts, that we can become his people together and hear his word. So everything we're about as a church is, is based on the word of God. So what I'm about to do and what we do every week, whether it's me or Joy or Raph or, or whatever, whoever is preaching, we, we open the word of God believing that it's not a document, it's not, it's not a, a fictional, it's not a novel, it's not historical, although it is historical, but it's deeper than that, that God shows up in his word and wants to speak specifically to you and your life and at the same time to his collective church, that there's power in hearing this together. We want to declare the truth to those who haven't heard it, but we also want to declare the truth to those who have heard it because it impacts us together. It impacts our life. It impacts our week. So this series is going to get our hearts ready for Easter, all right? The title of the series is Behind the Curtain, hence the curtain behind me. How about that? It just, you didn't even notice, did you? You were so locked in on my, you know, yeah, you noticed. Um, behind the curtain, and, and as we gear up, so, so here's the prayer. Our prayer is that whether you've been in church for more years than you can remember, or this is somewhat of a new thing for you, that this Easter would be different than any other Easter in your life, in Relentless's life. Right? And I'm not talking about breaking records and all that. I'm talking about that, that your heart would be just different. And it would be different because of what we're going to walk through the next four weeks as we go through this behind the curtain. So this series is going to go four weeks. It's going to lead us up to Easter. And the, you know, the phrase, we, we did a Welcome to Relentless event. We do those three times a year. Uh, it's kind of a chance to come hear more about the church. And some people have said, you know, kind of, I had, we had one person tell me, like, I want to kind of get behind the curtain of Relentless to see what's really going on, you know, back there, which is cool, all right? But, but that phrase, behind the curtain, it actually is a biblical phrase. So we're not going behind the curtain of Relentless Church. Uh, it's much better than that. We're going we're gonna to look at this phrase and where it comes from in Scripture, and we're going to watch God do something that's going to prepare us for Resurrection Sunday, as we call it. So let me, let me pray for you now. Father, remind us right now, whether it's a, it's a reminder or it's a fresh truth, remind us that you speak through your word. Remind us that it's, it's revolutionary. If we ingest what you want to give us, that it won't just help us have a better day. It will change the world. It will change our office, our neighborhood, our family, our workplace, our relationships, our, our, our everything, God, that, that you are alive and well, that your word is living and active and, and you wanna reach deep into our minds and hearts, that you wanna blow our minds, you wanna encourage our minds, you wanna convict us, you want repentance, you, 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 are, you are active and excited about, about touching hearts today and the power comes from you and you alone and your spirit would you open your word to us would you meet us in your word would you change our church forever as we meet you behind the curtain we pray that we would be excited to hear not from me lord that these folks in second service in a a few hours would be excited to hear from their creator this morning through your word in jesus name we pray Amen. 
So we're going to start in Hebrews 6. We're just going to jump in and we'll get to the phrase at the end of it. Hebrews 6 says, verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, God swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Right, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that have to do with Easter? What's that have to do with behind the curtain? We'll get there. We've got to get a little, you know, the origin story, right? So when God made a promise to Abraham, so this goes back to Genesis, right? We talk about the multi-ethnic church not being a fad. We didn't come up with it. The multi-ethnic church was actually birthed in the first book of the Bible. When God came and made this promise to Abraham, and he said, through you, I will bless all ethnicities. Uh, you can translate the word races. You can translate that word in uh, people groups. And this was, remember how this worked. Um, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, God chose the Jewish people, right? That's not true. There was no Jewish people, right? God invented the Jewish people. There was no people. He picked one man and said, I'm going to make a country and a people for myself, right? So he, he called them and they became known as Israelites and eventually Jewish people. And that's all true. But God said, I, I don't want to take another country and then try to make uh, like their customs and culture. I'm just going to start something from scratch. So he started and he told Abraham, who was old and had no kids, I'm going to multiply and bless every ethnicity on earth in the future through you. It's the craziest promise you could give, right? Imagine going to the senior citizen's home, finding some old dude, right? 92 years old, sitting in the room, rocking with his wife. Hey, where's your kids and grandkids? We never had any kids. And then God coming to that guy and say, listen, I'm going to bless the whole world, every race and ethnicity through you, right? How? And if you know the story, miraculously, we had some turns and some mess to get there, but we got and what that was, was a prophecy about Jesus. It was because through Abraham, and you see the genealogy in scripture, you, through Abraham would eventually come Jesus. And through Jesus, all ethnicities and all people groups have and will be blessed. So now, what are we? We are God's chosen. So God did create a people, and it was his chosen people, and even says chosen race and all those things. Now, we are his chosen People, the identifier is not race, language, geography, gender. The identifier of God's new family is one thing, Jesus, right? That's beautiful, right? And we love our backgrounds. We love our ethnicities. We love our languages. We love all that. But the identifier, the common bond, right, as it was in the Old Testament, it was the people of God were Jewish. Now the people of God, the common identity is Jesus, that all started in Genesis. Now, in this New Testament book, Hebrews, written about 2,000 years ago, they're going back to that promise. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So he's coming to Abraham, and he's coming with a hard word, right? If I'm the old guy who has no kids past childbearing age, and God shows up in my ear, I'm going to bless the whole world, all peoples through you. I'm going to think, you know, they, they mess with my meds, right? I'm, I'm seeing and I'm hearing stuff that's not real. So, so God knows that's a, big, that's a big deal to swallow. So what does he, what does he do? He, see, he, he promises and he backs his promise up with an oath because it says, right, you know, when, when you got to make sure they know you're real, you swear by something. And I'm talking about cursing swearing, but you swear like today's culture, you might hear somebody, I swear on my mother's grave, right? 
well, they, they got to be telling the truth because who would swear on them? Like, usually when people swear on their mother's grave, that means to me they're lying, right? Because that's just right. Why would you need to swear on your mother? But that's what God's doing. He's like, I'm using what you humans do. I'm going to swear by something, but what's the best thing I can swear by, right? I am everything. I'm God. So he swears an oath on his own name. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. All right, so more convincingly. Right, he, he, he wanted his heir, so, so start with Abraham. I, I need to convince you that this is going to happen. Abraham, it, we, know, we, we know from the New Testament, Abraham believed it in faith, but he struggled to believe it. You ever been there? Like you're here, on a Sunday morning, and the, like Seth said, this is, this is the first 9 a.m. service in the history of Relentless Church. We've had plenty of service times. We've never done nine. You're, you're part of history today, right? In, in this moment, have you ever been where, no, I'm here, and there's a God who knows my name, right? He's the king of my heart. You sang it, and you mean it, and at the same time you said it and meant it, you're also like, but is he? Wait, like... I think that's, I want, no, I do try, I do believe that. And in my belief, I struggle at times to believe. That's where Abraham was, right? He believed it and he trusted, but then there's parts that we know, like, well, how in the world is this going to, like, you're good. You're never going to let me down. But today it feels like you're letting me down, right? Those things can coexist It's part of our journey. And God knows that. So what's he doing? He's trying to be more convincing to the heirs. Now it's talking about us. Heirs, like inheritance. You understand that? Right? I, I watched the movies. Um, There's that funny commercial. I think it was a direct TV commercial years ago where they gather everybody together and they read the will and the kid gets like, uh, you know, all the the direct TV subscription and he goes nuts because, you know, and I, you know, I thought that's how it is. You know, when my parents oh, passed away, there's no, re, like, there is no get in a room and see what everybody, like, at least for us, it was, you know, it was real simple. They had taken care of their affairs and me and my brother, but a lot of it was going to their house and putting a bunch of stuff on the bed and having a draft, right? So you get first pick because he's oldest and I get second and third pick of this stuff. Like, we're not, this is sentimental stuff. We're not selling it, but, you know, we both want it. So, you know, whether it's some of dad's memorabilia or golf clubs or whatever, we just sat there and went back and forth. You know, you take this, I'll take this. It was, you know, we, we got along through it, but we inherited their stuff. That's a strong word scripturally. He, he wants you, if you're a Christian in the room, he wants you to look in the mirror and, and I'm an heir, I'm inheriting, but it's not golf clubs. It's not stuff. What are you inheriting? You're inheriting why Jesus came, right? The whole promise of Abraham, everybody's going to be blessed so that Abraham would have kids who had kids who had kids. Eventually, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, Savior of the world, he went for us. He rescued and adopted us. And now you are a co-heir with Jesus of the eternity and the forever that God promised. You got that coming. That's yours. That changes your day, much less your life. I'm a co-heir. We're heirs. So what does he want to do? He wants to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, and the unchanging character of his purpose. 
right? His purpose, that's what's beautiful. People talk about this crazy verse and that crazy verse. If you'll zoom back from scripture, there's one story. It's very consistent from Genesis to Revelation to today. God has been about one thing, redemption. His character, like he hasn't like, oh, well, that didn't work. Let me go. He's not like that. He's not scatterbrained. He's not chaotic. There's chaos around him and in the world all the time. But from the very beginning of mankind to 2022, March 20th, he is about being a relentless God who never gives up on anybody, who keeps coming with his grace and wants to redeem his people, who make a people for himself, a family, you might say, a new nation, a new family identified by Jesus. So heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character, his purpose, how are we going to know? So what did he do? He guaranteed it with an oath, verse 18, so that, hang with me, 9 a.m., here it comes, we're getting there, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. All right, so two unchangeable things referring to the promise of God, the oath of God. God can't lie, so he put his foot down and made it clear. Hey, you're the heirs. My, my character doesn't change. My purpose doesn't change. And it says, let's, let's focus on a few phrases. These are strong. And again, what I prayed 10 minutes ago, God wants to do something in your life through these phrases. That's exciting. It's exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to you. Have fled, those who have fled for refuge, Right, we live in such a weird culture. Right, in New Testament, when you went to these towns and you preached Jesus, you were in danger from the religious people because they wanted to kill you because Jesus was a competitor to the Jewish religion and Jesus had talked really sternly and negatively towards religion and the Pharisees. And then you had the pagan religion, the people that wanted to do and go crazy, and Jesus was a threat to that because there was conviction and, and guilt and shame, and, um, or, or shame is from the devil. You know what I'm talking about. So there's, you go to these cities, and you would preach Jesus, and people came to Jesus in all these crazy uh, cities, Roman cities, and, and you had these churches born up, and, and it was costly. Sometimes it could, it could cost you money. Sometimes it could cost you imprisonment in certain circles. Like it was, you, you just didn't have any cultural, like, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever. If you were a Christian, like, it was going to cost you something. You, it was a deep, weighty decision to go public for Jesus in the first century. In our culture, man, it's kind of like, yeah, my grandma's a Christian. It's kind of like... You know, your favorite color or your favorite team. And for some folks, it, it can be so like, yeah. But this says, no, here, here's a part of what a Christian is. Somebody that's fled for refuge. What does that mean? That refuge is a, is a city. In the Old Testament, there's all these cities where you could go for safety. There were refuge, cities of refuge. You could go and, and be protected from somebody chasing you, trying to kill you, or, or all these crazy things. So, so a place of refuge What this is talking about is the gospel that we have fled for safety, for freedom, right? It's not that we believe in God, right? No, we have left the the culture. We have left living for ourselves. We have left what this world has to offer, and we have run to Jesus for refuge, that he's our only safety, our only hope, our only freedom. Like, we have bet everything about life on him being who he says he is. We have bet everything on life about the gospel being true, forever is coming, and a multi-ethnic movement is how he's moving in his church. Like, we, we have bet everything. Have you fled what the world offers 
for the safety of Jesus. Or if you, like some of you with your brackets, you had two brackets, right? One that you wanted to happen, but then you hedged, and one that, you know, if I don't get what I want, then this is, I might maybe still have a chance to win my bracket. And that's fine. I got, I got two brackets, a head and a heart. But man, as, as, as cool as that is with March Madness, that's deadly with your life. That's deadly when you're like, I think I, I'm a flea for Jesus when times are tough, but I'm also going to bet over here a little bit in case this isn't true and real. I'm going to have some of my stuff and just live for me in a way. No, no, no. For those of us who have fled, we've left that. We're not living for this world. We know it's short. How stupid is it to live for something that's going to disappear so soon? How stupid is it to bet my finances, my schedule, my time, my energy on something that won't matter at all? We've left that and we've run to the safety of Jesus who invented us, who created us, who knows us, who has a plan and a purpose for us, who has every hair counted and every day numbered. And I'm just going to run to the safety of that in this crazy world that can end at any moment. I fled for the safety, for the refuge. If you believe in God, but you're not experienced freedom in Christ and you're not a Christian, you're a believer in God. And what do believers in God go? Nowhere good. Believing in God is not completely worthless, but pretty much. Never in scripture we called to believe in what we mean by the word believe. We are called to trust and follow, to flee for the safety of Jesus. We want to invite you to that. Some of you came in here and you would say, I'm saved and I'm a Christian, and you're not because you just believe in God. What a beautiful season this might be in your life for the first time to trust and follow Jesus. What else it says? That we might have strong encouragement, right? If you'd read this letter, we don't have the original, original letter from Hebrews. If you'd read it, though, that's in all caps that were, you know, I bet. The right, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. It's the only book in the New Testament. We don't have a real confidence of who wrote it. But whoever wrote it, they put that in all caps. That's what I think. I've never seen it. I'm just guessing, right? Strong encouragement. Like the Greek translated to the English, we lose a little bit. Like we just, oh, strong. No, this is like, whoa, stop you in your tracks. I'm, I am feeling the most encouraged I've felt in a long, long time. Anybody need some strong encouragement in your life? Anybody could use a little dose, strong encouragement? I do, right? It's a beautiful thing. Those who have fled for refuge, that we might have strong encouragement to what? What are we being so strongly encouraged to do? Here it is. Hold fast to the hope set before us. Right, and all the the promise and and what is and what isn't and the confusion and, and the world today That those of you who have fled for refuge in Christ, and if you've never fled and left and surrendered yourself to Jesus, man, we'd love to have that conversation and talk. There's some stuff you can do online. You can always talk to us any Sunday. You can reach out anyway. We'd love to sit down with you face-to-face, phone call, whatever's good for you, and talk about, yeah, I want to talk more about surrendering to Jesus. If you've made that decision, you fled, then God wants to leave you. He wants you to leave this room in a few minutes strongly encouraged to what? Hold tight to hope. Hold fast 
to the hope set before us. You know, hope has been defined many ways and Sometimes, you know, with faith and hope, is it the same thing? Well, it's not the same thing because the Scripture talks about faith, hope, and love, and the grace of these is love. But biblical hope is built on faith, right? Hope, you know, it comes out of, of faith. Hope is the uh, anticipation that comes with believing something good. Here's how we'll, here's a definition we'll, we'll steal from uh, today. Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen, right? That's hope, right? It comes out of faith, but it's a little different. It's a confident expectation. I am peaceful and I am sure. And even in times of my assurance, I doubt and waver. And that's okay. That's part of it. But at the end of the day, I'm sure that something is coming, that there was a promise to Abraham that brought Jesus and Jesus came and he did die and he did raise. And in that was another promise that will raise me from the dead. And there's an eternity and it's real. And I'm going to inherit everything that Jesus won for me. And that's coming. And I'm closer than I've ever been. And I've never seen it. And I've never tasted it. But I, but I know it. And I believe it. And I'm sure of it. That's the hope that we're supposed to hold tight to. I like how Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, uh, one of the godfathers of the multi-ethnic church movement says that hope is the confidence that your tomorrow will be better than your today. And he's not talking about that your Monday is going to be better than Sunday. He's talking about where we're, where we're headed is better than where we are. And it's a confidence of that. So our only role, right, we're supposed to be encouraged. Well, how do you do that? Well, you focus on hope. The only thing that it tells us to do in this verse um, is to hold fast, to hold tight, right? Some of, some of our kids are, are coming back to church. Um, the 1015, right? I know, I remember, I used to have little ones. It doesn't always fit with the sleep and the nap and the the schedules of little ones and all that. So, so it's cool not just to see our adults return, but our little ones return. And there's a few kids at this church, and I will not name them. That wouldn't be fair. There's a few kids at this church that just give the best hugs, right? And the reason they give the best hugs is because they don't know, at least, you know, with me, um, they, they don't, there's no halfway. There's no, like, like, it is a, I'm talking about, you know, three or four-year-old kids. When they hug you, man, it is a full-on, like, if you're not careful, you can't breathe, around your neck, squeeze. It's not a pat, it's a squeeze, and I love it, right? And, and COVID and all that, we didn't touch each other, we didn't hug each other, so it's just, it's like, you know, it's emotional to, to be loving each other again, and, and I thought of that, there's a few uh, kids at this church that just squeeze so well, and I thought of that whole fast, that visual came to my mind in this verse. Those of who have fled from refuge, for refuge in Jesus, uh, God wants us to have strong encouragement. Your heart, he just wants to encourage your heart. With, to what? To hold tight, to squeeze. What are you squeezing? God, yeah, but specifically to hold tight to the hope that what he said is coming really is coming. It really is coming. And what's coming so much affects today. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. What's this? Hope of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place dun, 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 behind the curtain. We're going to talk a lot about that phrase in the coming weeks, but for today, let's just sit here in verse 19. 
We have this. What's this? It's that hope. It's this confidence, this assurance that something hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. And he gives us this visual of an anchor. Right? It's a really simple, and we have, we have drawings, we have pictures historically in catacombs after, you know, in the centuries after Jesus, this became a key symbol to Christian people who were coming together as a new family. It wasn't Jewish. It was Jews and Gentiles. It was men and women. It was, it was people groups that should not be connected in any way. We're coming together in Christ. Christ was forming his new multi-ethnic community. And one of the symbols they used was an anchor. And we see it in scripture. We sang it a few minutes ago in the King of My Heart lyrics. And we know what an anchor does, right? Some of you are boatsmen. Is that a word? Boaters? Lakers? No, that's a basketball team. Whatever you you call yourselves, uh, fishermen, uh, nautical experts. All right, nothing. All right. Um, you've been on a boat, sailors, see, I don't know, it was a block for me, let me confess now, we're not online, it was a block for me, when we were online, I always felt bad, this is on me, this is all right, I always felt bad interacting with you, because I was like, well, they can't interact, because they're chatting, right, that's not the same, right, and I, and I tried to get over it, but now that we are, we're still going to put our service online, so if you got sick people, out of town people, if you're, you know, uh, immunocompromised people, and like, they can still be a part, we're going to put it on later in the week, we're just not live streaming, and there's so much freedom in that, that I can say something, whoops, and the whole world doesn't know, but it also lets me go back to what I want to be, so be careful if you sit close, because I might ask you a question, because I like it when it's me and you and us, and going back and forth, so thank you for saying sailors, because that's the word I was looking for five minutes ago. <laughs> you don't have to be a man or a woman who's ever been on a boat to know what an anchor does. Right? You go out. It's a beautiful day today, is it not? You go out to Jordan Lake today, ain't nobody dropping an anchor. Right? Because it's got to be windy and stormy and crazy to need an anchor. An anchor does what? It keeps the boat from going anywhere. We have been given this hope that dates back to the beginning, that is called a shot in Genesis. I'm going to build a church. We didn't know the word church yet, but through Jesus came the body of Christ. And there's a forever coming. We're not living for this world. And I'll show up. I'm not just telling you to wait and I'll prove myself later. I'll show up in the day to day, but I'm going to give you a hope. And this hope is going to be the anchor for your soul. Our staff at Relentless Church is amazing. Some of you know, I hope you know somebody on staff. Uh, we have incredible, incredible people. We have part-time and full-time, but, but they're really they're all like give their heart and souls to Jesus, but also to what we're doing and what God's doing here. And it's been challenging, obviously, for a lot of people, including church folks, people that work at churches over this thing. And I, I just want to continue to, we try to do this pretty consistently, uh, for Takesha and for Joy and for Raf and for Seth, and for myself, we, we try not to have any of this uh, pedestal stuff. We try not to have any of this, you know, oh, you're a pastor, right? So I just need to say in this, home, in this moment, you need an anchor when you're in the storm and you're shaky and you're unsettled. And I need you to know that, that your staff, that we're trying to serve you and lead you the best we can, 
Like, we're not exempt. And if your view of us is the folks that never get shaken or unsettled, then you don't know us very well. (laughs) What we have, and again, we're working through it, but what we have is the same thing that so many of you have. It's an anchor, right? Some of your view of the Christian life is that you're doing well if the boat never rocks. And when the boat rocks, you get all guilty. What am I doing wrong? If the boat never rocked, why would you need an anchor? There is a life coming where you don't need an anchor because you're going to be looking at Jesus. That ain't here yet. So in this life, you need an anchor. I need an anchor. We need an anchor. What? It's not that I never get unsettled. It's never that I don't have questions and doubts. I do, I do, I do. But what anchors me is hope. Even this week, preaching this message, I had to just sit, not to preach it, but just for my soul, sit in the reality of what is to come and the hope that anchors my soul. That hope, now check this out, that hope enters in to the inner place behind the curtain. Now what we're going to do the next three weeks is we're going to talk about some stuff that you may know, you may not know, but there's a lot to what the culture calls the Easter story that's really powerful, but But a lot of times we'll do Easter a week and then we kind of move on. That's not what we try to do, but that's easy to do. There's so much behind the curtain that is powerful. So here's the first example, this this phrase, this inner place. We'll talk about this more next week in detail. But just for today, the inner place is a reference to the Old Testament holy of holies. So the holy of holies, right, it was so jacked up. I mean, I say that with full respect, Lord. It was so jacked up in the way that the church and the people, it wasn't a church, the people of Israel functioned. The, the presence of God resided in the temple specifically. If you wanted to be in the presence of God, right, you went to the inner place and there was, a, there was some stuff in there. We'll get into all that next week. Just know the inner place represents the presence of God. And only very, 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 very exclusive special people had access to that. But now, through Jesus, through the hope of what Jesus has accomplished for us, now hope enters into the inner place. And in the temple, it was separated by a curtain. Right? I don't know if you knew behind the curtain, those three words were in Scripture. But the curtain separated the who's who, right? You didn't get back here unless you were the one chosen high priest. That was the only one allowed behind the curtain. And now the gospel is teaching us that Jesus, the next verse tells us Jesus leads us on our behalf, that everybody, what? Everybody in the room, everybody on the planet is invited into the holy of holies, presence, intimate, tight, one-on-one, personal 
relationship with a holy God. Our hope enters us into the inner place behind the curtain. So this series, which I'm telling you, by the time, if you'll stick with us, I know you're going to invite people for Easter. We're going to talk about how to do that, and we're going to help you and pray, and spiritual battle is real, and and it's going to be a beautiful day in here on Easter, April uh, 17th, I think. That's not right. Um, Is that right? April 17th. Thank you. All right, so we're going to do all that. But, But this year, man, maybe don't wait. Maybe, maybe invite some people next week that'll be with us on the journey because what I believe is going to happen as we sit in what this actually means, like it's transformational. And I think by the time we get to Easter Sunday, if you're with us, man, you're, you're, you're going to be so ready to just jump with joy. You're going to be so ready to worship and celebrate what actually happened through the cross and resurrection of Jesus like never before. So we're going to be referring, we're going to be referring to this behind the curtain as a lifestyle. So I'll, I'll reiterate this so we, so we don't get confused, but, but just for today, behind the curtain lifestyle is leaving the outward, which is religion, which is um, image, which is what do people think and say, and, and it's kind of distant, right? It's a keeping a healthy distance because he's holy and I'm, he's God and I'm not, and and a behind-the-curtain lifestyle, right, is this whole different ball game, right, where it's not about what you can see, <laughs> it's about your heart, and it's about a tightness with the God of the universe, where you actually interact where you don't come to church and then go back about your life. Like you're actually involved with him in a a crazy way. Let let me give you some some points of emphasis because that's like maybe like, what do you, you, behind the curtain lifestyle. Let me put some stuff on the screen and our prayers, man, that God would speak to every one of us through through these bullets. Here's a a differentiator, differentiator on behind the curtain. One, how often if ever, Are you moved on a deep emotional level by the grace and mercy of God through Jesus? Right, we had, I told you a couple weeks ago, um, so thankful for Raph and Joy and bringing the word and preaching um, the behind the music series that we just finished the weeks I wasn't here. We finished our our national uh, tournament, our basketball tournament. All my teams and kids did great. Uh, but that we all fell short, um, well, thank you, until, until the end. Um, and my son's team, and I don't have any seniors, thank the Lord. I'm just not ready to think about that. Um, but both my son and my, my older son and my daughter's team, uh, both varsity teams, had six seniors each. So that's 12 seniors, uh, a lot of which will never play basketball again in a kind of, you know, organized referee school board significant way. And man, the emotion... Like, it gets to me seeing these 18-year-old, like, just leave it all out there and just cry their hearts out because it's over. And some of it are tears of joy for their teammates and how fun it was, and some of them are tears of, of sadness. And it's just, uh, it was an emotional week, right? And I'm not going to go around the room and say, when's the last time you cried? That's not why we're here. So it's not about the tears necessarily, but honestly, and this is so, this is so messed up, but sometimes... 
You guys, you know who you are. You guys that have been doing this the longest, meaning following Jesus, sometimes we're the ones that need the reminder. Like if you haven't been emotionally, deeply moved by what actually occurred, that you really are going to face a holy God who knows every thought and deed you've ever done. And he knew that in advance. And Jesus actually went to a cross. And in one moment, he received the condemnation, the shame, and the punishment for your sins. That happened. He willfully allowed the wrath and the penalty of your and my sin to be on him. And he looks at you. What is grace? Grace is, is giving you what you don't deserve. You're, in, you're an heir. You're going to inherit. You're chosen. You're a son and daughter. He loves you. That's his grace. And mercy is not, is, is getting, uh, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Like you're not going to pay for your sins. It's already been paid. Some of you have heard that one trillion times. When was the last time you just sat in a dark, quiet undistracted room and just cried at the thought that a perfect Jesus wanted to take that for you. Not just that he did do it, that he wanted to do that for you, that you would not, oh, we need you, how we need you, you couldn't even breathe if he didn't give you breath. If you stay outside the curtain, you can play the game and you can come and you can shake hands, you can do the stuff and you can never let the gospel touch you on an emotional level. But you get behind this curtain. It's you and him. And you are going to be, and you're gonna embrace the reality that you're gonna be often emotionally, emotions are from God. Sometimes emotions get a bad rap, right? I'm not gonna be, the cry every week pastor. You know what? I might become the cry every week pastor. I'm not going to rule that out. But sometimes emotion, like emotional people get a, you know, it's a, it's a negative term. Like emotions are from God. How about prayer? Behind the curtain. Right? If, if you're not behind the curtain, which I was going to label that religion, all this stuff out here where only certain people and all that, like that's all religion. That's what Jesus came to bust up. If you're out here, then your, prayer, your prayers can be very routine. They can almost be a script, right? And you just fill in a few different words each time, you know, based on if it's lunch or dinner or breakfast. You don't want to thank God for breakfast when it's dinner. Right? Does anybody say, we had this argument this week, does anybody say supper anymore? Raise your hand if you're familiar and you like the word supper. All right, it's worse than I thought. I was, def- I was like, everybody knows that. And people's like, nobody says that. And I'm like, people do say that, but evidently seven of us. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's nothing wrong with praying for your meal. Like, that's good. Like, we should do that. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying. If you're keeping a distance between you and God, and that's the whole point, you're like, well, how can I not keep a distance? He's God. That is the point. That we who fled for refuge, the strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us, this hope, this hope goes ahead of us to the inner place beyond. This hope brings you into tight relationship where there's no such thing as a healthy distance. He doesn't want a distance. And if you don't, if you don't allow distance, if you don't accept distance between you and, and, and your God, your prayer life, changes behind the curtain prayers man you 
You're excited. You're excited to get back there and ask him to change things that you can't change. And the authenticity of your prayers, you understand he's God. I, I, I don't have to hide anything. I can name that person. I can name her name, the, the woman that's not my wife that I'm having some daydreams about that I work with. I can go to God behind the curtain and say, this is not of you. This is not okay. But I'm struggling with blank. And I'm going to say your name. And I'm going to ask for help. And, I'm, and what's he going to do back there? He's going he's to call you to have a conversation with a brother so you can get some help and some accountability. It's not these just routine script prayers. It is, hey, I am being tempted with this. I don't even know if you hear me today. I don't know what's going on inside of me. I feel unsettled. And I don't even want to talk to you today. Can you talk to your God like that? Behind the curtain, yes. There's nothing you can't say. One, he already knows it. But two, he wants to have the full, real you. Some of you talk to your friends in a way you would never talk to God. You share your heart in a way with your friends that you would never do with God. That's backwards. Behind the curtain, there's nothing. How about this question? Is there, is there joy in your obedience? Right out here in front of the curtain, sometimes I obey because I want you to see me obeying. Sometimes I obey because I'm scared of what will happen if I don't obey. And there's some healthy fear and obedience, and that's all good. But behind the curtain, man, there is. You know what? I'm so tight. I'm so moved by what you did for me. I, I, I'm, so, I'm so blown away again today that you want a relationship with me, that you know my name. I get so much joy out of getting to trust you with obedience. It's fun to obey you. Even, even when it's hard, it's not always fun because sometimes it's really hard. But even in that, there's joy in getting to obey the one who went and died for my sin. Like we're so connected. Like I'm not obeying with my head. Like I wish I could do the fun stuff, but I can't because I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. There's so much joy because you never let me down because you love me enough to protect me from myself and you know what's good for me better than I ever could and I'm just having so much joy when everybody else is going that way. Man, I'm going the way you call me to go and I'm having joy in that. If you're not enjoying obeying God, there's a chance that you're living not behind the curtain. How about your insecurity? We all struggle with that on some level. Let's not act like we don't. But man, if I'm not willing to go back here behind this curtain, my life is going to be so easily up and down roller coaster based on what you think. Because my security comes from my likes, my comments, my image, what you say, like for some of you, can you be real with you? I don't even be real with me. Be real with yourself and God right now. What people say when they're in the car or at a table and your name comes up and you're not there, what they say about you in that moment is everything to you. You're living your lives so that when people talk about you and you're not around, it's positive. That's not behind the curtain living. You can do everything right and people still say dumb stuff about you. And you can do a lot wrong, and some people will still say nice stuff about you because they're just good people. But the behind-the-curtain life is my security comes from what God says about me. He already knows the worst of you, and he still loves you. And I'm secure because I'm going to build my life based on what he says. Some of us are spending so much mental energy 
on trying to help people think well of us. That's not the goal behind the curtain. Let's get, let's get real, real with sin. Right? How we even view sin, right? It's becoming, I don't want to spend time on this, it's becoming popular in churches just not even to talk about sin. <laughs> what? Like, I'm not that old. The, the, the things that are preached and not preached are changing significantly in the last 15 years. Right? We talk about sin because God talks about sins, but, but out here, man, sin is something that we manage Sin, sin is something that we kind of try to, you know, have a maintenance on. And, and our view of sin is kind of, you hear this stuff of like, you know, well, we all sin. True. All of us fall short. True. But we tolerate sin. Right? Because you know what? We don't have our new bodies and in heaven everything will be great and we won't sin. True. That's all true. But we have victory behind the curtain over sin. Today, right? Doesn't mean we're perfect. Nobody's saying that. But the power that raised Jesus from the dead that we're going to celebrate in a month as a culture called Easter, the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And it has power over your sin. How does God want to attack your sin? Not out here with a distance. He wants you to come back here behind the curtain and sit with him. And his first thing out of his mouth is not, why do you do that? If you come back here with him, his first thing out of his mouth is probably, I love you, and to wrap you up in one of those hugs I was talking about. That's his first move. And as you just learn to live behind the curtain, interconnected and just wrapped up in the love and joy that Jesus wants for you, as you live in this, man, he's really, really good at dealing with your sin. He's really good. And it's actually freeing. It's not always pain-free, but it is always freeing. And, and let me go to the next word, because it's attached to sin. And that's authority. Right? If you're living in front of the curtain, if you never go any kind of deep, intimate place with God, right, then, then your sin is, is really not going to, you're not going to see transformation. That's the power of the Christian life is we're changing We've been doing this long enough. I've seen some of your faces in Relentless Church for years. And it's beautiful that some of you are nowhere near the man or woman that I met in 2015 or 2018 or 2020. And I don't know the half of it, right? We're changing. How are we changing? In tons of ways. It's not just about sin, but sin's a piece of it because he's going to free us from our sin behind the curtain. And that only happens if he's given authority. Back here, I am his. I am loved. I don't have to worry about what you think because I know what he thinks and says. But all that is wrapped up in he is my ultimate authority. Because we're just in this beautiful, connected, I know who's in charge and it ain't me. I am the servant. He is the Lord. So it's different. It's different when we connect sin and authority, right? So, so if my marriage, you know, it's one thing, I don't want to sin against my wife. That's, that's good, right? But it's a, it's a different thing that, that I'm going to treat and view and pray and treat my wife based on the authority of Jesus. 
Like he has the authority of how I'm going to act on my job. It's not just I'm trying not to sin at work. I'm trying not to get fired for something immoral. No, it's it's so much better than that. No, I am going as a representative of Jesus into my job tomorrow. He has authority over me. He is sending me, but he's not sending me like go out there and do that. He is actually in me and with me with complete authority on how I talk and how I love and how I respond to crazy situations that we don't even know are coming. Man, behind the curtain, it's so freeing. Like, you're the boss. Lord, what do you want from me? It's easy to pray for my marriage, right? And that's a good thing. But it's different to say, I am as a husband under the authority of the king. What do you want her to see and feel and experience through my husband? Ing, if that's a word, right? Sin and giving him authority to deal with your sin. Now, that's a, that's a, we could keep going, but I've had enough of this list because it's, there's some issues in my life where I, I, I don't, I'm not fully behind the curtain. And if you're looking at that list and like, man, I'm, I don't want you to be discouraged. Or right? if you're like, man, I haven't been moved on a deeper level by the gospel. I don't even remember when that was. I'm super insecure. I'm not having any joy in my obedience. My prayer life stinks. I'm sinning right and left, but nobody knows it. And I'm living under my own authority, if I'm honest. If that's you, I can see where you might be discouraged. Don't be. Be very encouraged, because this is a monumental season in your life. God is, if you're honest enough to say, man, I am not any of that, the issue is... You're not living behind the curtain. That should be really exciting that there's an actual relationship that this whole thing is built on that you've been missing out on. And that's not sad or discouraging. That's exciting and encouraging because you can enter behind the curtain through Jesus. You can walk with him. I sat in a counselor's office in 2006. And my life was a wreck. My job was a pastor. And I was so broken, spiritually and emotionally. And that counselor, I'm sitting in Kentucky. I've told some of you this story before. I'm sitting in Kentucky. I, I've never been to counseling because counseling's for people who can't figure it out on their own. I'd so, I was a, this, forget that what my job was. This, the level of pride is just appalling to think back on. So I didn't want to be there, but my life was such a mess that I had to be there. And I'm sitting in Lexington, Kentucky in Dr. Don Sizemore's office, and over his right shoulder is a degree, what do you call those, a diploma from Duke University. Over his left shoulder is a diploma from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I almost just walked out, because I know what scripture says about double-minded and you know, he, you know, like, how, how can you have degrees from both? Like, those are, pick your side, dude. But in that first meeting, it's just me and him, and we're talking through how I got where I got, and he asks me this question that made me so mad. He asked me to talk to him, who I just met, about my intimacy with Christ. And I was mad. Because I knew as soon as he asked it, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
And I'm not saying I wasn't a real Christian. I, I, I really did love Jesus and believe and follow. Like, I wasn't a fake Christian. I just had stayed on this side of the curtain because that's what I did. And then some things happened in my life that I needed to hide. And, and I didn't really know how to go behind the curtain. And I'm telling you, nothing changed my life more. But in that moment, I was mad. Because I'm a pastor. You know, I don't have, you don't, can't ask me nothing that I don't know. And intimacy, to me, intimacy was a sexual word. Don't, don't put intimacy and Jesus in the same sentence. Sicko. Like I was judging him and saying all kinds of stuff to him in my own mind. But I, I fumbled and bumbled to an answer. Because the beauty of counseling, I eventually learned, is you don't have to fake. You can just say what's real. And eventually I was able to say, I don't know anything about intimacy and Jesus. I, th- I thought I was doing pretty well for him. I've blown it now, so he probably doesn't want to talk about me. That's where I was. Right? And God, through the gospel, rebuilt my heart, rebuilt my marriage, rebuilt my life. Used a lot of those ugly days as the seeds to eventually plant a church. Named not after us, but after God, who's relentless and never gives up on anybody. And the path to the life you were born to live is to go behind the curtain, emotionally naked, vulnerable, no, no faking anything with a God who already knows it all. We're going to take some steps deeper into what it means to be behind the curtain next week. But I think for today, let's just pray that God would highlight maybe one of those things on the list, maybe something that's not on the list. That list was from me. But more than anything, that God would highlight what we read today, that we have this, what's this, this hope, as a sure and steadfast anchor. Anchor, that's what's got to anchor us, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Would you stand? Let me pray that verse over us. God, we thank you for the power of your word. God, I thank you as I look at your word right now that you desire to show more convincingly to the heirs of your promise. God, we got a lot going on in our heads, in our world. Remind us right now that we're heirs of a promise, that your character hasn't changed, that you've had a purpose from the beginning. God, remind us that that we fled for refuge, that there's safety and freedom in you. God, would you give us strong encouragement today to something, to what? God, would you help us hold tight, hold tight to the hope that you set before us and that this hope would be our anchor. It would anchor our souls even this week and we would be reminded as we live this week, that that hope takes us to an inner place with you, an intimacy with you, a tightness, a rawness, an authenticity that is what we were made for, that is so good and so full of joy and peace, that's so amazing that once we taste it, we would never trade it for anything else. Help us live behind the curtain lives under your authority. And may that be the light to this dark world. We pray and go in Jesus' name, amen.